With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bareback Fact. My name is Dallas, otherwise known as Big D, and I will be, of course, your host again today. Today I'm going to be talking about a myth that is quite near and dear to my heart. It's the myth of the wild hunt, popularized probably to many by the Witcher games, but Legend of the Wild Hunt was no laughing matter, nor was it an entertaining matter at all for the ancient people's to have witnessed it. Now, before we get started, important important for us to uh, give a little bit of a context for where this comes from. Now, this is a story that comes out of a European folk myth that can be traced all the way back to approximately the year 1127, uh, at least in a modern telling. However, uh, many, many writers... Uh, claim that the story has been passed down from generation to generation for the better part of a num- of, of several centuries. So uh, it's a little bit difficult to have uh, a written record of it going back as far as 1127, which is quite a long way. Uh, middle, m- medieval age there. So still pretty old story by any stretch of the imagination. Now, um, This story uh, has been told in various tellings across Central, Western, and Northern Europe. Uh, It's a well-known folk myth of a ghostly leader and his group of hunters and hounds flying through the cold night sky accompanied by the sounds of the howling wind. Now, depending on the telling of the story, these supernatural beings are recounted as either being the dead, elves, or in some instances, fairies. In the Northern traditions, uh, the wild hunt was synonymous with the great winter storms, and changing of the season. Uh, One of the most famous, uh, in particular, tellings of this occurrence is found in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is one of the earliest and foremost histories of the Anglo-Saxons, who were descended from the same Germanic tribes as the Norse and broadly shared some of the same body of religious lore. Uh, The records, uh, this record, records the following event as having happened again in CE 1127 and the Chronicle states, let no one be surprised at what we are about to relate for it was common gossip up and down the countryside that after February 6th, many people both saw and heard a pack of huntsmen, a whole pack of huntsmen in full cry. They straddled black horses and black bucks while their hounds were pitch black with staring and hideous eyes. This was seen in the very deer park of Petersburg town and in all the woods stretching from that same spot as far as Stamford. All through the night, monks heard them sounding and winding their horns. Reliable witnesses who kept watching the night declared that there might well have been 20 or even 30 of them in this wild tent TV as near as they could tell. Now, this Uh, is in reference to witnesses who claim to have seen. This is a recounting of what witnesses had claimed to have seen in the night sky during this time. Now, in order to understand the wild hunt, we also have to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, This story, again, has been passed around for quite a number of years, and the Wild Hunt's been given a number of different names. It's been called 
going on. Uh, it's been called Woden's Army, called Woden's Hunt. Uh, it's also been referred to as simply the Wild Hunt or the Riding of the Fairies. So this is a is a story that is also known from a post-medieval folklore, but it's it, it can be traced back quite a long ways in Middle Ages. And this is something that people believed or passed around frequently, and the story just kind of kept it has kind of been kept alive uh, over the centuries by people retelling this story, uh, whether it be um, you know as something to pass the cold winter months. Uh, or something to keep the kids in bed. Uh, There's a lot of things associated with the wild hunt, which we're going to get into as we go further. Uh, But most oftentimes, it's simply referred to as Woden's wild hunt. Uh, And Woden uh, is a character uh, who is thought to have been uh, better known to you as Odin. Uh, It's also, now in Scandinavia, this this occurrence, the wild hunt, has been given different names. It's been called uh, Oscarea, the terrifying ride, and Odin's yacht, uh, simply Odin's hunt. Uh, in 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 modern in modern German, uh, in in Middle High German, it was called Wooten's Heer, or again Odin's army, uh, and Wootenden here, uh, furious or inspired army, and later uh, referred to as Wild Wildjagd, which is wild hunt. Now. It was said to have swept through the forest in midwinter, which is the coldest and darkest part of the year, when ferocious winds and storms howled over the land. Anyone who found him or herself out of doors at night during this time might well spot this ghostly procession or be spotted by it, which might involve being carried away and dropped miles from where the unfortunate person had been taken up or worse. And we'll get into what worse meant uh, a little bit further. I want to kind of piece this together. Uh, bit by bit, because uh, before we get into what will happen to you should you be caught outside during the wild hunt, it's important that we talk about the leader of the wild hunt. Now, various accounts of the wild hunt merit mention a leader. The figure who filled this role tended to vary greatly. Now, while this has been called Woden's hunt on many occasions, Odin himself is not always uh, the leader of this hunt. There are a number of names associated with the leader of the hunt, some of them old kings uh, from Perkta, Berta, Holt, Hala, Hulda, Fosta, Selga, other gods. Uh, but as the, as the wild hunt's various names across the Germanic lang- lands attest, one figure is especially closely associated with it, and that's Odin, who is the god of the dead. He is the god of inspiration, ecstatic trances, battle frenzy, knowledge, the ruling class, and creative and intellectual pursuits in general. Now, two of Odin's hundreds of names further demonstrate his association with midwinter, uh, the time of the year in which today, uh, we, which, which the holiday Yule or Yol falls, and Yolnir and Yalahera, both of which mean something like master of Yule. Uh, the myths describe him frequently riding throughout the nine worlds on his eight-legged steed Sleipnir uh, on quests of a shamanic nature. Another theme that connects him to the wild hunt uh, is speaking of the manifestations of the wild hunt that continued well into the Christian era, it was natural that the ancient god of the dead who rode through the air should keep a place in this way in the memory of the people. And it reminds us of the terror which his name once must have inspired. Uh, so the wild hunt story was in one way the manner in which pagans, as we, as many uh, Norse pagans, as the Christians would have called them, kept alive the story of Odin. Odin being this god of the dead, uh, this god who comes uh, and or sends his own agents, uh, the Valkyr or Valkyrie, to claim the souls of the dead. There are a number of themes that connect powerfully with this story: theme of death, the dead, the underworld. Uh, but we also have the ghostly character of warriors and hunters themselves. Uh, but interestingly enough, in the Wild Hunt, there are descri- descriptions of ghosts of dogs, horses, and animals that are closely associated with death. 
such as ravens uh, and birds of prey, amongst a great many other things, were almost invariably always present. Uh, in some accounts of the hunt, the wa- of the hunt, the riders can hardly, if at all, be distinguished from land spirits, who were themselves often conflated with the dead, as if the two were thought of as being in some sense one and the same. And lastly, for the ancient Germanic peoples, the worlds of the living and the dead were especially permeable during midwinter, which goes a long way toward explaining, uh, in particular, why uh, this troop of apparitions is supposedly able to haunt the land of the living during this particular part of the year. Uh, If we look at the writing of one Claude Lukotu, uh, the wild hunt fell into the vast complex of ancestor worship, or the cult of the dead, who are the go-betweens between men and the gods. Uh, in order to, in, and in many, many different communities uh, that meant that we would now, uh, in some in some circles, call pagan. Depends on uh, who you ask. They would simply, you know, call themselves people, uh, or they would associate themselves with. Uh, their gods in particular, uh, depending on, and, and in some, some senses now, I mean, uh, you know, neo-pagan movements would probably, uh, who, who may have some claim to these gods might, uh, find themselves not, not really liking the term pagan, uh, but for lack of a better term, we will go with it. Uh, this was very important. You needed go-betweens between you and the gods. You didn't simply talk to the gods. That was, you didn't do that. There, for one thing, uh, you're you're a mortal. You're a mortal person, and gods are busy running the universe, running, uh, you know, holding, you know, making the seasons turn, you know, creating things for mortals uh, on their own. So you needed go-betweens. Cer- certainly, you could lay out offerings. Certainly, you could lay out sacrifice, and certainly you could pray to the gods. But what you would also do is definitely pray. Uh, in reverence to your ancestors. You would do this in the hopes that your ancestors would curry favor with these gods. Uh, So a good deal of ancestor worship uh, was uh, factored into this wild hunt. Now, if we look closer at the wild hunt, we look closely at it, we can see that oftentimes, uh, again, it's referred to as Odin's hunt or Odin's army. Uh, if we look at the mythology of Odin and we look at the things that people say about Odin in the old stories about him, Odin is a god who actively seeks brave warriors for his own means. And his means are the prevention of Ragnarok, the end of all things, the permanent winter. Uh, so Odin has his own agenda, and his agenda is to collect souls. These souls have to be of brave and 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 powerful warriors who are going to fight for his cause, end of all things. They are going to prevent the coming of a, an eternal winter. Uh, and so if we think about this, in this, if we think about Odin in this context as an agent, who, as an agent of change and an agent in a, that is an attempt, uh, in essence, attempting to halt a great change, Um, the wild hunt is even more fascinating because, again, Odin is the collector of souls. So what then does that make these souls following Odin in the wild hunt? Well, they are his collected souls. They are the warriors who were chosen. Now, depending on the stories you read or the stories you look into or the stories we're in regards to uh, Norse mythology, uh, Odin has other agents who collect souls for him, and these agents are known as the Valkyrie. And the Valkyrie appear on the battlefield, and they strike down dead warriors who are in their prime, great warriors. They don't just strike down dead any old warrior. They pick the greatest of the warriors, and they die when the Valkyrie arrive, and the Valkyrie snatch their souls up uh, and take them off to Valhalla, the Hall of the Brave, or they take them... Uh, to Freya's Hall, consorts, and to join her army. These these men, these select few, have a task ahead of them. They become members of the Einheijer, 
which is the arm, the spiritual arm of Odin. This is a spectral army of men whose sole purpose is to fight and die in Odin's name at Ragnarok. They are to fight and die for eternity until the day of Ragnarok comes, in which they will fight and acquit themselves for a final battle against the forces of evil and the forces of winter. Uh, so the Wild Hunt brings on this, these, evokes these sorts of, this sort of imagery of an army of souls in full regalia marching across the night sky. Um, so not a surprise that a strange occurrence that appears to be, you know, cloud formations uh, or a strange occurrence that is being claimed to have been seen uh, because, you know, again, we only have this, we have these witness accounts. Some, someone claimed to have seen this or told a story uh, that, about seeing this and it caught on. But in other words, this, in a way, this wild hunt does keep alive this idea that Odin is still collecting souls. Now, if we dig deeper into this folklore about the wild hunt, uh, being caught outside was one of the major don't do's of the wild hunt. One thing you didn't want to do was be caught outside uh, during the wild hunt. Now, the concept of the wild hunt, uh, before, I, before I talk a little bit more in depth about the legend itself, I'd like to uh, get into a little bit more of the history. We've talked a little bit about Odin uh, and his associations with the hunt and why that's important. Uh, but if we look uh, a little bit closer at the history of the wild hunt itself, this concept of the wild hunt was popularized uh, by author and mythologist Jakob Grimm uh, in 1835 in his works, The, Do the Deutsche Mythologie, or the German mythology. Uh, the story itself uh, is mentioned again early on uh, in the 1100s, uh, 1127 A.D., uh, and it's in 1673 that Johann Schaeffner in his book Laponia recounts stories by the Laplanders of the Sami people of the Wild Hunt. Uh, then we have, and this is before, of course, Jakob Grimm in 1835, but we also have the work of author Helene Adeline Guerber, who wrote of Odin and his steed Sleipnir uh, in her 1895 works, Myths of the Northern Lands, in which she tells her readers of the souls of the dead being carried off on the stormy winds of the hunt. Now, of course, as I said, Jakob Grimm popularized this concept in his German mythology, uh, in which he mixed versions of the folklore with textual evidence from the medieval up to the early mo modern period that people had written. So he took this account from the Anglo-Saxon uh, chronicles, and he took uh, the stories that people in the countryside were telling about the wild hunt, and he interwove them. And then he took any other accounts that he found of, of stories similar to the wild hunt and interwove them as well into the story. So many people criticized his methods, which emphasized the dynamic nature of folklore. Uh, now Grimm believed the myth of pre-Christian roots and its leader to allegedly be based on the legends of Odin. And he is one of the first to claim this on the darker side of his character. He also thought that the leader of the hunt may have been a woman uh, perhaps a heathen goddess named Berkta or Holda, and he believed the female may have also been Odin's wife as well. Uh, so that's a whole other another spiel. But this is uh, why the one of the major reasons why the Wild Hunt becomes such a popular legend. However, after the Middle Ages, uh, people will go back and they dig into these things. And Jakob Grimm, of course, and his and his brother uh, both went about uh, collecting. Uh, his brother Will, and he went around collecting stories uh, from the countryside, from the people. And this was one of them, and this became very popular uh, it, throughout Europe, particularly in Germany and Scandinavia, and it's been, uh, it's been painted uh, into some, some pretty nice uh, landscapes and pictures have been made about, have, have been done galore on this. Uh, there's been lots of illustrations of it done. Uh, perhaps the most famous is Woden's Wild Hunt, uh, which is done by Friedrich Wilhelm Heine. Uh, and it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty nice, pretty elaborate painting. Uh, so something worth examining uh, for, the, for all you art lovers out there. 
definitely uh, something that could be worth your time. Talk, and we've and we've talked about Odin and his association with the hunt and why that's important. Let's get into the legend itself. Now, the hunt was said to pass through the forest in the coldest, stormiest time of the year, and anyone found outdoors at the time could be swept up in the hunting party involuntarily and drop miles from their original location. And we have stories galore about this. Practitioners of magic were said to have sought to gain the berserkers in spirit while their bodies remained safely at home. Uh, and, er, and more modern writers postulated that the story invariably changed from pre-Christian to more modern times. The story changed depending on who you asked in any case. But the myth originally began as a hunt led by a god and goddess visiting the land during a holy holiday, bringing blessings and accepting offerings from people. They could be heard by people in the howling winds, but later became known as a pack of ghouls with malicious intent. Now, the legend, of course, has been adapted over the years, and depending also on the geographic location, the leader of the hunt along with it in the Middle Ages uh, with Heathen entities becoming a thing of the past. The hero of the story became characters such as Charlemagne, King Arthur, or Frederick uh, Barbarossa, the Holy uh, Roman Emperor in the 12th century. In the 16th century, Hans von Hackenberg was said to have led the wild hunt. Uh, story: The story recounts him slaying a bear, accidentally piercing his foot on the, or I mean, slaying a boar, I should say, and accidentally piercing his foot on the t- boar's tusk and poisoning himself. Uh, the wound was fatal, and upon his death. Von Hackenberg declared that he didn't want to go to heaven, continue with his treasured advocating of uh, advocation um, of hunting, and so he was then forced to do this for an eternity in the night sky, or as recounted in alternative versions, condemned to lead the wild hunt uh, in place of the gods. Sources cite his name as possibly being a corruption of the epithet of Odin's name, but that's you know just postulations by people that's sort of silly. Um, don't know how you could even get those two conflated Hans and Odin don't even sound uh, anywhere near the same. So that's a little nonsensical. Uh, There's also a a version of it being told that's been told in Wales, uh, a variation of the story purporting leader to be Gwyn Apnud or the Lord of the Dead. Uh, In this version, the Lord of the Dead is followed by a pack of hounds with blood red ears. In England, the same white hounds with red ears appear in legends. They are called the Gabriel hounds and said to portend doom. If you see them, Hearn the Hunter, or Herr Lething, is also alleged to be the hunt's leader in southern England and possibly connected to the mythical king Herla. Uh, this story is also told in the Orkney Island tradition, speaking of fairies or ghosts coming out at night and gallop, galloping about on white horses. It's told again in, it's told in a different variation in northern France, the Mesne uh, de Heliquin, the goddess of death, was said to lead the ghostly procession to claim souls. Uh, now, there were also, now the clerics in the 12th century Britain uh, who re- reportedly witnessed the wild hunt claimed that there were 20 to 30 hunters in the party, and the hunt that would uh, the hunt that they saw continued for nine weeks. So apparently, they claimed to have seen this uh, procession across the sky for nine weeks. Uh, earlier reports available of the wild hunt generally represented the events as diabolical, whereas in later medieval retellings, the hunters become fairies instead. The legend's origin, some believe, may be related to the uh, dandy dogs in the tale. In, in another tale, uh, in this tale, Dondo uh, wanted a drink of water, cursed his huntsman for not having any, and was then offered water by a stranger. The stranger stole uh, Dondo's game, and Dondo himself causing his dogs to give chase. Another version focuses on, again, King Herla, who had just visited the fairy king. The king was told not to dismount his horse until the greyhound he carried had jumped down first. Three centuries passed, and his men continued to ride as the dog had not yet jumped down. In Germany, the hunter is sometimes, again, associated with a devil or dragon, uh, something sinister, rides a horse and is accompanied by numerous hounds. The prey, if mentioned, is usually a young woman who is either innocent or guilty of some crime, and often the tale uh, recounts someone encountering the hunt. If they oppose or stand up to the evil horde, they are punished. But if they aid the hunters, they are rewarded customarily with money or the leg of a slain animal. And everybody loves a slain animal leg. I know I do. Hopefully it's turkey. That's just my stomach talking, though. Uh, ah. Unfortunately, if they receive the latter, it's usually a cursed, and it's usually cursed and impossible to get rid of. Uh, without the aid of a magician or priest. The tales also mention that someone standing in the middle of the road is somehow safe from the hunting procession. 
Uh, now, it's important to note that in th- that this myth is particularly interesting because this is not a myth that is always talked about as only being seen, but it's also said to have been heard. Uh, in Scandinavia, in Scandinavian versions of the myth, typically the barking of Odin's dogs as well as the forest growing deathly silence portend the arrival. Uh, this warned of the arrival of the hunt. The hunt commonly signified a change in the seasons or the onset of war in their folklore. That in Scotland, the wild hunt is closely linked to the fairy world in some sources. Evil fairies or fae were said to have been cast from the Sluag or Unsheely court, the noble fairy court, and the Sluag allegedly flew in from the west in order to capture dying souls, resulting in people in Scotland up into the twenty up until even the twentieth century closing their windows and doors on the west side of their houses uh, when they had a sick person inside. Similarly, the Orkney, Orkney Islands were said to be home to trows or trolls. These creatures supposedly hated the sunlight and tried to catch and eat mortals unless the humans were lucky enough to escape by crossing over a river or stream. Now, important to note, uh, the Wild Hunt has many different tellings and many different varieties, in, and so uh, wanted to get into all of those and try to cover them as fast as we could. But right now, and we've done that, so we're gonna get we're gonna get more in depth into some of the more sinister things uh, that have been associated with the Wild Hunt. But before we do that, we're gonna go to commercial break because I'm told that commercials are important that sometimes you guys need a break from my lovely voice. And so I'm going to make sure you guys get that. But before we do, I'm proud to announce that our station has a new sponsor at totally driven entertainment. He's, he's funny. He's wacky. He's crazy. And he's totally driven. Check out and guys, I will talk to you again after the break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this sinister, uh, things associated with the wild hunt and what can happen to you if you're caught outside some of the precautions you can take to prevent yourself from falling under the spell of the hunt i'm black man saving man's eyes one stereotype at a time to the black mobile to the corner of martin luther king street and malcolm x boulevard pronto Will black man make it to the crime on time? Or will he be on CPT? Stay tuned at ChrisFairleyPresents.com. Attention business owners, website owners, event promoters, or anyone looking to promote your product. The Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network is the perfect way to spread the word of your business around the world. That's right. You can advertise at our network and be played on all of our shows at rates that are so cheap. It's a no-brainer. For more information, contact Bay Ragney at bayragney at gmail.com. To keep your business driven, stay driven with Totally Driven Entertainment. Are you a fan of Sherlock Holmes? Letters from Holmes offers unique, one-of-a-kind letters from the world-famous detective himself. Handwritten on 8.5-inch by 11-inch aged parchment paper and using smudge-free ink to produce original, high-quality letters that fans will treasure for years to come. Each letter is handcrafted and written from the perspective of Sherlock Holmes, mimicking Holmes's native tongue and embracing many of the famous detectives' quirks, quips, insults and peculiarities. Order a love letter, birthday greeting, personal correspondence or more only at www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash letters from Holmes. For $5 today, you can buy a wealth of things. Gas for your car, rent a movie for the family, a few slices of pizza, $5 still takes you a long ways. But did you know that $5 can buy your child a bag of heroin in the streets? That's right. For only $5, your son or daughter can buy some of the cheapest and purest dope in the country. Be aware of the lies. Be aware of the stealing. Be aware that's all it takes to kill your child. $5. This message was brought to you by Casey's Cause, a group of parents located in southern Chester County out to save your child's life. Come join us today at www.caseyscause.com. And remember... $5 $5 is all it takes. Casey's Cause, www.caseyscause.com. Looking for that perfect gift for your ghoul friend? Then look no further than Teddy Scares. Teddy Scares are available in a variety of styles, sizes, and prices for all your shopping needs. Teddy Scares are a mix of cute and creepy to make a great gift for almost any age. 
Board up your windows, lock your doors, and log on to TeddyScares.com. And be sure to become our friends at Facebook.com slash TeddyScares. Calling all comic book fans. Do you collect comics? Did you ever collect comics? Do you think your children might like reading comic books? Do you even know they still print real, paper, non-digital comic books? Well, then visit the Pirates of Ontario Street Comics in Philadelphia. We have a massive collection of comic books, action figures, trading cards, and much more. We have one of the largest stocks of back-issue comics in the area. We bag and board every new comic book at no extra charge. Our store is voted the best comic book shop in the 2013 PHL 17 Hot List Contest. Part of the movie Unbreakable is filmed in our store. We are open seven days a week. Ontario Street Comics is located at 2235 East Ontario Street in the Port Richmond section of Philly. Our phone number is 215-288-7338. Type in the words Ontario Comics Philadelphia to check out our wacky stores page on Facebook. Welcome back, everybody, to the Bareback Facts. Hope you guys enjoyed that brief time away. And if you didn't, it's okay. I'm back. Now, I was, before the break, talking about uh, the various tellings of the Wild Hunt and some of the things associated with them, being, uh, mostly being Odin, uh, the changing of the seasons, portends of war, and um, death. If we get into the specifics, uh, and, and some of the more specific tellings of the stories. I want to I visit the uh, Scottish uh, version of it for a moment because it's particularly disturbing uh, when you start looking at, at it from this uh, from, from regional perspective. Uh, in Scotland, the wild hunt is associated with, an, with entities known as the Sluog. And the Sluog are supposedly either fairies, they're evil fairies, which are oftentimes referred to as the fae or uh, fair folk, but they're also associated with, and these are not just any dead people, these are people that were so deplorable in life that they weren't allowed to pass on to the other side. And so because of this, they become part of this phenomenon known as the Sluag, and they are a massive entity of angry, hungry souls whose sole purpose is to snatch the life force of people near death or people who happen to be caught outside when they're on the prowl. Now, these entities ride about much like the wild hunt, and what they tend to do is quite literally ride into your room and rip your soul out and then float right off. So because of this, uh, in Scotland, people tend to close all the windows on the west side of their houses. And they've done this for quite a while. while. I know I mentioned earlier, I was kind of skimming through the list of regional tellings of this story. I mentioned before the break that people, you know, close the windows and doors on the west side of their homes because that is thought to be the uh, direction from which the Sluag approach. Uh, and they did this up until the 20th century. But there are still people who talk about uh, the Sluag and the importance of uh, closing the doors and windows at night uh, during the, during this time of the year, not only because you can get sick, but because it's it, it could happen that these entities might sneak into your house and kill you, um, quite literally rip your spirit from your body. The uh, saddest part about the Sluag, however, is not the fact that they might steal your soul away, but stolen souls don't go to heaven or hell. They're forced for the rest of time to join the Sluag and stealing souls to add to their horde of, of, of undead souls. So these people these will ride into their house, snatch their soul out, and then force them to kidnap other people's souls. Uh, even worse than that uh, is that there seems to be very little uh, protection against this, except for closing windows and doors, uh, and in some cases lighting a candle in the windows uh, to, to uh, ward off evil. Now, uh, in, the, in the tellings in Germany, it's interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, um, in some parts of Germany, 
when the wild hunt rides, they warn you to stay inside. In some parts of Germany, they tell of people, they tell of people uh, attempting to uh, to avoid the hunt, but either being trampled or being swept away in the hunt and forced uh, to join it. Uh, in, in, uh, in addition, I mentioned the fact that uh, people have talked about um, the hunt in various ways in Germany, but in particular, uh, the hunter riding down uh, a young woman who is either innocent or guilty of some crime and person uh, bargaining with the spirits to either aid, uh, to aid uh, the hunters or aid the quarry. Uh, but in any case, uh, in the Germanic tellings of the story, one key facet remains very, very important, and that is when the wild hunt rides, you stay inside uh, because all sorts of bad things could happen if you don't. And it, you, you could make a, a sort of Faustian bargain uh, you know, by helping the wild hunt, uh, but um, it is indeed a Faustian bargain. Uh, you're going to probably be cursed. Um, or uh, worst case scenario, worse than maybe even being cursed, uh, is being either trampled or forced to join the wild hunt. Um, additionally, in in Scandinavia, uh, it's important to note that they talk about the coming of the wild hunt as not only uh, the change in the season, but also they are supposedly the foretellers of tumultuous times ahead. Uh, now, one might argue that winter could pose its own problems, particularly in you know place like Scandinavia, you know, place like Norway. Uh, you know, winters can be pretty pretty rough uh, in that part of the world. You know, it's it, and especially during the Middle Ages. I mean, in the Middle Ages in Europe, winter was was not a pleasant time. You know, we complain uh, that we have to you know wait for the plows to you know plow the streets and we got to salt our sidewalks. Uh, most people in the winter uh, were more concerned with not dying uh, from the intense cold. Uh, we take for granted that we have central heating uh, and, you know, hot water uh, and a and, and insulation that keeps our house warm. Uh, in the wintertime in medieval Europe, the majority of the people, they all slept in a little hut together, their livestock. That's how you kept warm. That was your heater. Sleeping with the cow was your heater. Sleeping with your goats, that was your heater. Uh, so winter time was a very unpleasant time in general, made more so by this uh, coming of the wild hunt, uh, which could in t- indeed foretell the coming of winter and, and by, you know, by extension foretell that the hard months are coming. Uh, so changes in the seasons and the, the coming of tumult or war are also very bad, uh, you know, in you know in, in Scandinavian culture uh, and in any culture for that matter, you, you certainly don't want war. Uh, you know, especially when you're living with largely agrarian uh, society and and fisher fisher communities, people who are relying on you know fishing and and agriculture largely to make a living and largely survive. Winter can make you know agriculture and fishing a little bit difficult. Sure, there's ice fishing. Uh, but you know, winter time when, when the when the frost sets in, you're not planting things uh, during the Middle Ages. That's done. That time is over. Uh, you you've got to hope at this point that you've got all uh you know at at the time when the winter when winter's about to set in, you're hoping that you've got all your harvest in. You're hoping you've got everything you need to make it through the winter. Winter again was a very harsh time, a very scary time for these people, uh, and it's only fitting, I think, that that we have this wild hunt, this very spooky uh, sort of occurrence that's associated with really one of the most dangerous times of the year for these people, which was winter. Um, again, you know, you're, you, you, it's a cold, it's a dark time of the year, it's cold, and you, you don't have access to the resources you had access to. Uh, likely, uh, you're not going to be able to go outside very often, uh, depending on where you are you're not going outside. You're staying inside. Um, you know, you're not going you, and you can't, and, 
and again, we take for granted all the amenities that we have access to today. You're not if, – if you get sick, you can't just get in the car and go – uh, to get you know medicine, you can't just go next door and get medicine. Uh, if you get sick during the winter, you can see you're probably going to die. You know, uh, so this is a time. So again, the wild hunt foretelling this time period in which you're going to be inside a lot and you're going to want to stay inside. It's fitting that the wild hunt is supposed is this way of encouraging people to stay inside. Uh, this is that reminder that uh, things are about to not going to are about to be very unpleasant. Remember, stay inside; you'll get very sick and you might die. Um, so, these stories and realize that they do have a purpose, right? They 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 do have some semblance of purpose, uh, whether it's um, you know entertainment or you know as a way to you know encourage good practices. Uh, when when we revisit that the idea of you know closing the windows and doors on the on uh, in your house when someone's sick probably just a good idea in general uh, not to let a bunch of uh, you know cool air get in there where somebody's sick um, and and then again we get into the uh, story of the Orkney Islands which I think. Uh, the 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 variety of the Orkney Islands is particularly entertaining because in it uh, they've got trolls, uh, and and in their their variation of the tale, it's trolls that are running around. Uh, and if you're outside when uh, at night during the ride of these trolls, they'll try to run and eat you. Uh, they'll try to get you and eat you up, which to me uh, has all the makings of a now young man. You know what time of the year it is. It's time for you to start coming in earlier. It's going to get darker sooner. You get your buttons in the house, or you're going to get eaten by trolls. Uh, it just seems like the thing that your parents would say to you, uh, in you know, something that parents would say to their children is, uh, well, it's time to, you know, we have street lights. They had trolls. Uh, you know, we had street lights go down, and that told us it's time to go home. Uh, they had trolls, apparently, that would run out at night and try to eat your children. Uh, you know, everybody's got their thing. I'm glad that we had streetlights and not trolls. That's just me. I think if I uh, ever saw anything that conceivably uh, could be interpreted as a troll at night, I think I'd probably, uh, I think I'd probably have to run home a lot faster. I uh, definitely uh, wouldn't be stopping and looking back and frolicking outside. I would certainly find it in myself to make it home on time the next time. I can tell you that. Um, but when we look at these stories, we can see some value in them. And the value that we see in them is that not only are these stories important to the tellers of the story, and, and you know we can get into the you know the concept of keeping you know legacies alive, keeping you know certain you know certain traditions alive, and that's all well and good, but. It's important. These stories are important in and of themselves because people took the time to tell them, uh, and the reasoning behind their telling can sometimes be very rewarding for us to learn. But sometimes the reasoning behind the story isn't really that important either. Uh, it's the fact that they took the time to tell the story, uh, and when we look at when we look at legends and myths, we shouldn't uh, look at them as uh, we, we don't always have to look at them as a lesson. Yes, there are lessons that can be learned from many legends uh, and stories, but sometimes sometimes it's just a good story. Uh, and this is one of those cases where I think it really is just a good story. And, and certainly I think the idea of keeping Odin alive, you know, in, the tra- in, in tradition for, for the common people uh, and, and for people – uh, you know, who were still kind of holding on to some of those beliefs, even with the spread of Christianity uh, throughout Europe. Certainly, uh, keeping the figure of Odin alive uh, in, for future generations in this way uh, certainly could have played a factor in the wild hunt, and certainly, uh, most likely, was a large uh, reason why this story was so popularly told. But I think more than that. Um, this this story is just a good story that people told, and it just got told so many times that that's that we have, and, and now we have so many versions of it uh, that uh, it just hasn't died. and And I think that um, that in and of itself is impressive uh, that this story has been around so long, and the fact that it's been retold and and, and reimagined uh, for so many different communities. 
uh, is also a testament, I think, to the original to, to the storytellers who originally told it. And while we may not know who were the, the you know the original storytellers were, uh, whether it be these priests or whether it be you know the the everyday person who thought, hey, this would make a good you know this is a good story. I'm going to tell this story uh, to the kids. Um, to me, it's a great reminder of the things we should be appreciative of. Um, you know, when you think about when you think about the people that came before us, and you think about all the advancements they made to get us to the point to where we are today, and you think about the fact that they didn't have access to the things we have we've all taken for so for granted today. Uh, you know, they couldn't just go to the movies. And, and go watch the new Justice League movie or the new Avengers movie. They had to create their own Avengers. They had to create their own Justice League. Uh, they had to create their own their own entertainment. Uh, and I think a story like The Wild Hunt is a testament to the creative spirit within human beings. Um, more than anything else, it's a testament to our creativity as people um, that we seem to entertain us and continue to do so, that we could formulate these stories. You know, superhero stories, I've talked about this before, they are the stories we tell ourselves now about ourselves. Uh, and I had a long spiel about, about that. The things that we value uh, can be placed on superheroes. But, important, but, but for me, this story, the, the Wild Hunt story, it's important for a different reason. It's, another, it's a testament to the creative spirit that exists within people, uh, that, that will to entertain the mind, to stimulate the senses, to find something to be passionate about. And even if it's a, you know, even if we look back on the story of the wild hunt as rather silly or, or we look at it and try to find the deeper meaning uh, for these people, I think the story was just the story they told that they thought this is a good, you know, that, you know, maybe they were trying to keep alive certain legacies, but I think for, for, for the original tellers of this story, this story was a way to entertain throughout the long winter months, uh, throughout a time that was a hard time to be alive, a hard time to be around, talking about people that were incredibly hardy and resourceful. And this was one of their resources. Their minds were one of their greatest resources, and they didn't waste it. They formulated these great stories and, and passed them along from generation to generation so that we could appreciate them later. And I think that's the greatest thing we can take away uh, from, from this particular story is that this is one of those stories that sticks around. It's got, it's got some depth. It's got some real strength to it because there's something so interesting about the wild hunt. And what's so interesting about it is it's, it makes us ask big questions, right? When we, when we think about a spectral army, a, a, a spectral legion of dead people riding through the skies, it, it evokes so much imagery for us. But it also makes us think about so many things. You know, are they happy? What happens when we die? Where do we go? Am I being a good steward of my soul? These are the kinds of questions that, that a story like The Wild Hunt encourages a person to ask. It makes you ask the big questions. And in a way, it sort of answers them too, right? It sort of attempts to answer it at least. Maybe it's not the answer you want. Maybe it's not an answer um, – you know, to the grand question of where I'm going when I die or the grand question of, of you know, possibility for, for your existence or anything like that. It's not an existential question, but maybe it does force you to ask some big questions. You know, maybe it does inspire you to continue looking for the answers to those questions. It inspires you uh, to, you know, to tell, to tell stories, to, to seek out the answers in the universe. And I think the, I think this, the wild hunt is a prime example of an attempt to sort of grapple with the concept of the spirit and the concept 
of a soul and the concept of an afterlife and that that tenuous balance between life and death. Uh, you you see it so many times in legends, uh, in 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 early pre-Christian legends. There's a tenuous balance that exists between the realm of the living and the realm of the dead. Sometimes if you squint just right, there's no barrier there. Uh, and, and there's times of the year where certain groups of people believe that there is no barrier, that the barrier slips away and that the dead creep back over to this side. And the wild hunter, a grand representation of what can happen when the dead can creep over the, into the mortal realm, into the, the realm of the living. But I think the wild hunt also does something else besides make us ask these questions about the soul and the realm of the dead and these planes of existence that, that could exist at the same time as ours. I think it also inspires us and gives us something to reach for, gives us something to be in wonder about, gives us something to consider at the very least. And that is, what if this realm of the dead, what if this barrier that we believe exists, what if this separation between life and death is an illusion? What if it doesn't exist at all? What if all the time those people who passed on never really went anywhere? What if they sat right next to us all the time and we didn't know it? What if these spirits were around all the time, but we simply couldn't see them except for parts of the year. That's what makes the wild hunt so fascinating because it keeps the thoughts of, of the other side alive. It keeps questions about, about eternity alive for us, makes us ask the big question about whether or not death really is nothing more than illusion. This barrier that we claim exists Maybe we need it to exist. And the wild hunt is fiery and terrifying to the tellers of the story. And I have to wonder if maybe the wild hunt's inspiring and terrifying to the tellers of the tale because they're asking that same question that I asked just now. What if the barrier that we think exists never existed at all? What if death and life weren't separate? What if everything I know about life and death is a lie? What if there is no barrier between me and the dead? What if they could walk amongst us? And what if they do? And we simply don't know it because we simply aren't paying attention. The observant eye could catch the wild hunt in the early, month, in the early coming of winter. But not everybody claimed to see the wild hunt. But what if those select few, those select tellers of the tale, who claim to have seen the spirits of the dead ride triumphantly across the sky with hounds in, in pursuit of some prey, the devil himself, riding a storm? What if those original tellers were the observant ones? What if those original tellers were the ones who were paying attention to the world around them? They were open to the possibility that the dead could ride among the living once more. Guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Hope you took some pleasure in hearing about the wild hunt. I hope it uh, inspires you. Go do a little investigation to yourself. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more about it, I'm going to give you guys some places to go check it out. Uh, the first first suggestion I would make is to go ahead and check out uh, Jacob Grimm's, or as, or as uh, English speakers would call him, Jacob Grimm. I said Jacob. Uh, but mythology or German mythology uh, you can get it translated in English. It is available in English, or you can be like me and just have it in German. But you don't want—you don't have to do that. You don't have to be like me. You can do it in English. 
Not everybody's a nerd like me. Some of us just want to challenge themselves. Anyway, uh, you can check that out. It's a great, uh, great way to a uh, great start. Uh, you might want to also check out Ronald Hutton's The Pagan Religions of the Ancient British Isles, uh, Their Nature and Legacy. Um, you may also be interested uh, in reading the Encyclopedia of the Celts. Uh, there's an entry, uh, Devil's Dandy Dogs, uh, the Duran the Rhymer. Uh, you'll want to take a look at that. Uh, and it might not be a bad idea to take a look at uh, Claude Lucateau's uh, Phantom Armies of the Night, The Wild Hunt, and the Ghostly Processions of the Undead. Uh, it's been translated by John E. Graham, so... Uh, you can get that version. Uh, it's been re- retranslated uh, as of 2011. Uh, you can also take a look at a dictionary of northern mythology translated by Angela Hall, but originally written by Rudolf Simek. Um, and finally, uh, you might want to take a look at Gods and Myths of Northern Europe by Hilda Roderick Ellis Davidson. Uh, all good places to start if you're, you know, Norse myth. If you're looking for things on Norse mythology, but if you're also just looking for something on the Wild Hunt, these are great places to start. Uh, books are a valuable resource, and I think, uh, as much as I love doing my show, I think it's always a pleasant experience to get people uh, to go explore literature that they wouldn't have ordinarily um, explored. There's just something about holding a book in your hand. And, and reading a book uh, that gives you a sense of achievement. Uh, it's one thing to have somebody tell you the knowledge, but it's another thing entirely uh, to go get it for yourself. And I always want to encourage you guys, as my viewers, to never uh, forget to call in if you wish to. Uh, my call-in number, as always, is 718-508-9883. Uh, so for future shows, guys, always remember, you can call in anytime and ask questions, and I'd love to discuss with you guys anything you'd like to discuss uh, in regards to the show. Uh, I love to uh, try to drop that reminder in there. We don't always get to it, but definitely uh, anytime I do my show, guys, always remember, you can call that number anytime. I'm always open for a good conversation about technology or politics or whatever we happen to be talking about. Uh, but, I, you know, in regards to... In regards to holding a book in your hand and actually reading it for yourself, um, so many times I've found it much more rewarding to go out and actually uh, seek out the answers for myself and and read read a book myself. Uh, having somebody teach you something is one thing, but teaching yourself something and formulating your own opinions and your own thoughts about what you've seen Reading what that person's already read and then formulating your own thought process about it can be much more valuable in a way uh, than having someone teach it to you. Uh, because when someone teaches you something, you're going to only get their perspective. You're only going to get uh, their presentation of what uh, of, of the information. Uh, you know, similarly for my show, I you know I love doing my show, and I of course always. I uh, love, you know, giving you guys these stories and, and giving you guys my take on it. But it's important to remember that that's just my take on it. It's not the end-all, be-all of what what we're talking about. Um, there are m- multiple takes on it. So I always encourage you guys, go out there and, and, and read some of this source material yourself uh, and see see if you have your own perspective. And then we can talk about it. Feel free to call in. Uh, anytime and, and talk to me about it. But I always go out and check the source material, guys. It's always important uh, to go out and check source material. And we live in a time right now more than ever when you should definitely double-check anything anyone uh, in, in in media ever tells you. Uh, and that's me included. I would say always double-check me because I could be wrong. I'm not wrong, but I could be. I could always be wrong. But I would never lie to you guys. I'm never wrong. Uh, I'm, 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 of course, joking. I, of course, I would never lie to you guys. But that doesn't mean I, I couldn't be wrong. Because I could be. I've been wrong before. Just ask the viewers on Straight Football Talk. I have been wrong before. Oh, I've been wrong. Ah, but that's all I've got for you guys today. Again, I hope you enjoyed the show. Feel free to check out that source material, guys. 
As always, I'm your host, Dallas Duclo. Uh, you can catch me also on Sundays, live, straight football talk. And you guys want to catch us because we've got Asama Young coming to the show on Sunday. Very excited about it. And, of course, we do have an upcoming interview with Kerry Rhodes coming up very, very soon. So you're going to want to check that out. Uh, that's going to be on October 21st. Um, we'll, we'll be live with Kerry Rhodes. And that's going to be fun. It's going to be about it's going to be 5 p.m. instead of the normal uh, 9 a.m. show. So uh, it's, a little, it's a little sad. We're not going to get to do the 9 a.m. show, but that's okay uh, because we're going to have Kerry Rhodes in. But that's all I've got for you guys. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I'll catch you guys very soon. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.